0: You're listening to The Retail Revelation, sharing insight, knowledge, and expert opinion with digital and tech leaders from across the retail industry. Presented by Rembo Consultancy, working in partnership with leading retailers and brands to attract and hire
1: the highest performing senior digital and tech talent. Find us online at rembo.com. Here's your host, Matthew Goddard. Hello, uh, this is Matthew Goddard at Renbo Consultancy. Welcome to another episode of our regular podcast series, where we chat to digital and tech leaders within retail and brands. Each episode, we focus on challenges and opportunities currently being faced within the industry from the unique perspective of our podcast guests. Joining me today is Abigail Hayhoe, who is Head of Marketing at House of Garrard. Abby, hello. Hi there. So first of all, Abby, tell me a little bit about you, your background, um, and a little bit about Garrard and what you guys are doing there.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I'm currently, as you mentioned, Global Head of Marketing and Communications for House of Garrard. Um, So Garrard, for those who don't know Garrard, um, we're the longest serving jeweler in the world. We were first commissioned in 1735 by Frederick, Prince of Wales. Um, we're going to the Crown Jeweler by Queen Victoria in 1843, and we've served every British monarch since. So it's a very special place to be. Um, I'm actually only recently um, I'm quite new to the brand. Previously, I was doing the same role, heading up global marketing and PR at Cutler & Gross, which is one of the most legendary eyewear, luxury eyewear brands. Before that, I've always been in the luxury space. I was working at um, American Express on the Centurion account. And before that, I was working at LVMH at Berluti.
1: Brilliant. So I think today was really keen to get you on to really talk about digital from a luxury brand perspective, really. So I think if we started off, if we want to start off by telling me a little bit about what you feel the biggest challenges with developing a luxury brand but a heritage brand specifically such as Garrard further within the digital landscape I think sometimes heritage brands luxury brands can perhaps not quite sure the best way to navigate around this space so what's your perspective really in terms of the challenges specifically first of all?
0: Yeah absolutely so I think Firstly, um, the inevitable challenge realising the type of product and experience that has traditionally traditionally defined luxury heritage brands. So if you think about it, in contrast, the mass market, the luxury experience has got many characteristics that are really physical ones. So, you know, you want to see and feel craftsmanship, the richness of the materials and receive a level of customer service and a brand experience in person that's offered so well in kind of elegant and exclusive setting of a store that can't as easily be translated um, in the click of a button through the digital space um, in a way that's also consistent with brand values. It's also something that you can't control as much online. And I think conscious of this and of the potential damage that could be done if you get it wrong, luxury is generally one of the most, one of the slowest to adopt digital and social. I think essentially for, for fear of losing control. And I think, you know, in many ways that fear is understandable the reputations of these brands have really been cultivated for, in our case, over centuries. So it's definitely important to take the time to get that right. I think, however, in, in general, that approach for the luxury industry is changing. Of course, years ago now, we had big players like Burberry who have now been embracing technology Yeah, for quite a while, become digital leaders. I think that influence is definitely spreading throughout the industry, um, which is great. And on a personal level, A challenge that I'm still finding is that it's quite difficult to hire the right talent, nonetheless, into digital roles in luxury, particularly in the social media and influencer side, because I find you have got a lot of young talent that may be really experienced from a digital perspective but doesn't actually understand that thoughtful, refined, ultra-high-end luxury and the different approach and tone of voice that's needed to
1: manage that. Okay, fantastic. I was going to mention... um... Burberry, actually, myself, as probably the brand that is doing digital the best. And I think there are, I think there's so much more we learn from Burberry, but few people that still seem to be, even though Burberry have made it a massive success, even going back sort of, you know, six or seven years that they've really started to, to kind of be innovative within this space. It's still taken other brands a long time to catch up and most still haven't really caught up yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a crowd, it's a crowded space out there as well. I think that's one of the reasons. And um, I mean, also bearing in mind that, you know, Burberry, it had a very strong brand resonance before it even went into the digital space. I mean, if you want me can talk, you we're know, very happy talking about more about Burberry now, actually, because I think a lot of the techniques it's, it's used kind of over time, it's had very good, good creative direction, I think. It's easy to make mistakes. I think it's got to a point where it really has that seamless journey all over the world, and it's really got, you know, there's engaging digital campaigns and projects that work across every single channel. You know, in general, I think some of the, the ways that brands embrace the digital space best is building more than just a beautiful product, but it's really creating that desirable, aspirational lifestyle that people want to buy into. Um, you know, I think in luxury, you really need to extract that emotion around, around the product and create a world that really engages those consumers consistently and also authentically whilst remaining true to the brand and I think that's something that, that Burberry does um, I mean I was just on their website just the other day and you know they've got a, a section just give you a couple of examples they've got a section on the website that's called experience you know which really does just that it's inviting you into part of that world they've got an acoustic section where they're you know um collaborations and performances with emerging and established artists who are embodying that dream whilst wearing the Burberry clothing, um, but whilst reaching to you know, a different music audience. There's um, a great initiative that they did a while back called The Art of the Trench, that which was a microsite where um, users could submit pictures of themselves in their favourite Burberry trench coats, showing that first, way well, you could be that person, anyone, anywhere can wear it. But what was nice here is that using that user-generated content, so by inviting those photos from the audience you know, inviting that interaction, the site linked directly to Facebook Connect. Mixing that user-generated content with some curated content um, was a really good way to maximise reach whilst keeping it authentic. And of course, I mean, beyond that, they've, you know, with the shows themselves, they have really evolved from on the first live stream through to ordering straight from the runway, through to their live social media campaigns. So it's that fantastic, I think, creative direction and vision but also with the, the money to be able to put behind it as well. That's probably the biggest thing, knowing to, where to put it in the right place and being some of the first to do it gave them a very
1: big head start in that one, that's for sure. So how do you think global brands, luxury brands, I guess, can ensure a consistent tone of voice and a global brand image within the diverse markets that they operate in?
0: I think that's, it's a good question um, and one that I found myself um, right in the middle of in previous roles. Um, I think the challenge with online is that it's really accessible to everyone. So it's hard to deliver an experience that is at once global whilst being local and adapting it to you know local cultural nuances and Again, looking back historically to how that's changed, you know, it was much easier to control your brand positioning in a luxury store where you can manage the experience and cater to, to people, you know, on a one-on-one basis as they, as they come in. But online, you really have to have one overarching tone of voice, one brand image and one experience that also reflects that in-store culture because today's global consumer expects the same for a brand wherever they go. And it's very important, I think, within the company to really make sure everyone buys into that strategy and educate people internally on the importance of having one strong communication message. I think you need to ensure you've got guardians of the brand who really monitor and police those brand guidelines, strong relationships with all your wholesale and retail partners. So, you know, all the offices talking together. I've been in situations previously where, you know, imagine a global team of store managers who are eager to create for example, spin-off Instagram accounts for local content that they're just going to generate themselves in the store. But I think unless you're really established enough as a brand to be able to afford diluting your global accounts, and unless you've got someone who can really be devoted to overseeing those in in individual individual location, it can be quite risky to try and create these different spin-off accounts because you want to build that brand awareness and not weaken it with mixed messages. I mean, of course, it doesn't mean you can't tailor that content where the opportunities are there. So, of course, by translating it and tailoring ads and messages by, you know, geo-targeting. But that global branding really must be consistent. Um, and in fact, just just the moment where I'm navigating the minefield of WeChat in China and understanding how actually it is possible, you know, for us at Goward to create a global official account, but that you can do so whilst allowing. The you know those on the ground who are in the retail store to not lose that CRM element and the level of interaction that customers have with the brand through that social platform. So I think it's just about understanding the channels, making sure everyone is on the same page, and that you are
1: owning the right platforms as a brand rather than diluting it with too many
0: too many cooks for all the broth, as they say.
1: Fantastic. And then that brings us on into looking at. You touched on this earlier on, but the right people to the right in influencers really for your brand perhaps a little bit more than around that around they've got to be the right they've got to understand luxury and heritage and your and your brand but how would you go about identifying who these who these influencers are
0: and um, so I think with influencers yeah, yes, there's a lot to be excited about and there's a lot to be wary of. So, you know, as the name suggests, you know, an influencer is supposedly someone who's able to, to influence the purchasing decisions of their audience, of loyal followers in a particular area. And influencers often sell themselves in on the amazing reach, you know, the number of followers that they can then promote your message to. But I think the main pitfall is being misled by that figure. Because a lot of social media followers doesn't mean that it's the right influencer for your brand. Firstly you think, are these people relevant? So is that audience following that particular person of the right demographic, age, location, the right purchasing power for your brand? You know, look at what other, other brands that influencer is working with. And also look at the level of engagement from their followers. So if you're if that person is posting to an audience of tens of thousands, but it's actually hardly getting any engagement on each post it actually means most of them probably won't be picking up that message at all. So I think on that point, actually, sometimes you might not want to just pay a fortune for one generic mega influencer, let's say, but there's also a the real opportunity to look at the smaller influencers or they're called micro-influencers. So these are generally the small ones that will have a small but a dedicated following of, say, one to 100,000 followers. Um, and the benefit of those is that, that audience is more likely to be much more targeted um, and more likely to be passionate about that topic as well so therefore more relevant and with that authenticity that also comes with that and because a micro-influencer is generally less established so what they're doing is they're going to be working harder and they are genuinely passionate in the area they're talking about their followers Respect that as well, they're genuinely passionate about the same topic, and that means you're more likely to get the conversions and more return. Whilst at the same time, it's not they're not commanding as high fees, um, which is obviously an advantage. So, on, on small budgets in particular, that's definitely the best way forward. And I mean, the real ideal solution would be to I in my experience is to find someone who just genuinely loves the brand and is proud to share that rather than just looking for a payment. And I think obviously that that harks back to the original draw for consumers of say Instagram people have an affinity with these you know the personalities they see on there because they feel it's real authentic people and you know the industry is adapting and is now finding solutions to ensure that these posts that might have been paid for are actually more clearly disclosed to consumers so whether it was you know, previously the hashtag ad or hashtag sponsors, you know, Instagram now has that paid partnership tag. And I think over time, consumers will become more and more savvy to this and will start noticing it. So the best win, I would say, at least for small to medium-sized brands, is going for the micro influencers and ideally the ones who are who believed who are so targeted, they believe passionately in what you're doing and the product, such that you might get a better return for say gifting them or working with them in a way that doesn't have to
1: involve just the direct payment. Great. Now, I know you're also quite keen to sort of talk about luxury brands tend not to advertise as much or, you know, or some brands don't historically advertise heritage brands. How would you suggest that luxury brands looked at their strategies within this sort of digital age to ensure that they survive on a long-term basis, actually thrive within this Digital landscape.
0: Um, yeah, sure. So I, mean, I do think lots of you know lots of lots of luxury brands do advertise. Um, I had a very interesting experience myself when I was working at Cutler and Gross. So I touched upon them earlier. Um, really, the, the legends in the eyewear industry. So Mister Cutler and Mister Gross were the very first to introduce um, optical glasses as a fashion accessory. You know, the first to collaborate with Rakeha kuberg Magasran, Victoria Beckham, Erdem, and they actually pride themselves on not advertising so they're kind of the exception to more general rule they've kind of built themselves up with word of mouth the real cult industry following Um, but as I mentioned earlier I think it's important even if you might not think digital and traditional advertising is the way forward for you you know digital can't be ignored and some of the ways that we um I led the program at Cutler and Gross to still raise our awareness was um using native content to start with so for anyone who's not familiar with native content you know that's you're still paying a media partner you know in terms of an av- um, an advertising stream but the content you're getting out of that is positioned more like editorial content so it's more engaging more relevant and you generally you know partnering with publishers who can bring their, their expertise and engage in their audiences it's more likely to be shared by users that native content route works when you're trying to really also educate tell a brand story as well. So I think this is, this is relevant for luxury too. Sometimes it's not just the picture that you want to show, but when you've got that craftsmanship, you've got the heritage, you want to have a chance to communicate that. As I mentioned earlier, you know, using influencers. Um, so at Cutler & Gross, you know, we weren't, we never paid anyone to wear the product. Um, obviously, we're in a lucky position that we had, you know, few people who just wanted, wanted to wear it. Without without being paid for, and who would be classified as influencers. So we did a very targeted program of gifting to real star icons, music icons, artists in the industry who were yeah honoured to be wearing our products and were genuinely authentically doing so. I mean, on, on the gifting front, yeah. Sorry, no go, for
1: it. Sorry, Kara, I was. I was. I was. I was going to say because we're going to come on to sort of talk more next about the. Emerging brands, and I suppose that's going to be much more difficult for emerging designers to get people, you know, to really buy into the brand and wear them. Have never really heard of them before. So I was going to say, you know, how and you've done some 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 work, haven't haven't you, with emerging designers with the wall the Walmart Prize?
0: Yeah, that's right. In fact, I forgot to mention that earlier. um So I used to be the European manager of the International Walmart Prize, which is, you know, arguably the world's. Um, top award for emerging talent you know back in the day this was the award that helped launch the careers of a certain Karl Lagerfeld and Yves Saint Laurent back in the 60s and it's still going today so I had yeah the honor of nurturing some of the best and brightest emerging designers as they're setting out on their journey the main thing of, of we touched upon is of course the budget you know they don't have the budget available to compete with you know these state-of-the-art websites integrating your channels chatting up video content or paying influencers, and it's very hard to get a share of voice. But I think some of the ways, just to link, yet yeah, to link all this together, on that gifting front, you know, there are examples of how it can has been has worked wonders for some brands. And um, just recently, actually, there's an Australian eyewear brand called Lestex which had collaborated with um, a women's wear designer called Adam Selman, and they had set aside just um, a certain amount of product to be gifted, not paid, um, and one of those of glasses. Was the Lolita glasses were sent to GG Headed. And then she Instagrammed, Instagrammed a picture of herself wearing them. And you know, unsurprisingly that garnered kind of you know over 1.5 million or more likes. And then the brand sold out of almost all of its inventory overnight. And that actually is something that cost them nothing more than the price of that pair of glasses which they had to send out. Of course I think relationship building is very important to be able to, in that instance, ensure that your product does get into the hands of the right people. One of the kind of tricks you can do is, I think, really just, you know, the personal approach is essential when you're an emerging brand. You know, get in there, really get to know those stylists, get them to understand your product, a real personal approach. And if those stylists really buy into that as well and buy into your story, then they're the ones you want to have front of mind when they're then, you know, Dressing be a celebrity, be an influencer. Um, I think other ways to, to work to think about working with influencers when you're very young and don't have the budgets might be the micro influencers I, med- I mentioned, or it might be actually your existing customers. You know, so look at who's already buying your brand. Do any of those already have a smaller, growing following? Could you use them as a as a micro influencer? That that kind of genuine, authentic approach. I think you know that whilst we're talking about recruitment, actually. You know, as, a, as an emerging brand, like I said, it's about putting in the legwork. And it, this also offers a really great experience for young people in the industry who want to understand how to support a brand in branding in the digital space and the social space to, you know, go in as a young intern or an assistant, um obviously, which is more affordable for that young designer, but also, yeah, gives gives that young person that the opportunity to really get involved and really hands-on experience.
1: Thanks, Abby. I think we'll wrap up for now. Thank you very much for joining us on today's session. Thanks for listening to the Retail Revelation. If you like what you've heard, please like, rate, subscribe and share. See you again soon for another episode of The Retail Revelation. Brought to you by Rembo Consultancy.